Welcome to Know Your Audience, a marketing mini-cast that explores how knowing an audience can unlock greater insight. Over the last decade, we have seen a huge change in audience measurement data because of digital proliferation and in no small part, Facebook. In this episode, we explore what the change in audience measurement brought on by the digital era means to us. Up to this point, we've been talking about change and change in how we understand audiences. One of the big areas where this change really comes to mind is in how we actually measure our audiences. And when we think about Kellogg's, when we think about McDonald's, when we think about what we've been talking about so far, and we bring it forward with technology, Web 3.0, the old school audience measurement and what we can do today are very different. Yes. And in some cases, one might say our old way of thinking about audiences letting us down when we talk about audience measurement. Not necessarily let down. I think it's probably more evolution that, that happened. I think what the digital era, and I think when we talk about the digital era, we can acknowledge Google um, obviously changing about how we access information, YouTube about how we disseminate ourselves on video, but really that pivotal moment about measurement changed with the advent of Facebook. So I think, you know, when you start to look through the events of the last 12, 13, 14 years, a lot of the major global events from, say, the Arab Spring through to things like presidential elections through to even the coronavirus communications have all been shaped by information or misinformation and things on on Facebook. And that's really been the core catalyst, I think, for what that meant to marketers because it shifted the value of where that audience sat forever from that traditional model of measuring ratings on TV and radio and that's just being the the holy grail of the metric of how many people were listening even though it's one measurement and that that was how things were bought and sold and circulation figures from magazines and newspapers and it was all based on representative samples as well, which I know we will discuss at some point the failings of that potentially. But with that advent of digital, really brought to market as the power of measurement, or at least it was supposed to. <laughs> and and that's what the biggest issue I think that's facing a lot of, not just marketers, but this, this could be as relevant conversation, I think, for anybody in, in the whole media and communications business or, or even a content creator is that these measurements were sp- supposed to give us the power to make decisions. So how are they, how are they failing us? In a multitude of ways. <laughs> First of all, it focuses on the numbers and not necessarily the quality of the audience. Those metrics get lost. So if you take a step back, I think there's a relief and a lot of people in 2010-ish, let's say, when there's a critical mass on these platforms where, oh, great, you know, we've got a high reach, multi-channel ways of reaching people with those huge numbers of distribution that can grow our business, you know, really push it forward. You know, smaller brands that that just haven't had access to, for instance, TV, like it takes a lot of budget to get to TV. It takes a fair bit of less budget to get to other channels, but TV, one of the most effective, you know, suddenly there's another thing that's there. And and with that power became, you know, this quest for these big numbers because that's what we were used to ratings numbers, etc. 4.1 million viewers at 6.30 watching the news. What happens in this intervening time is that we start to get into the millions and the billions and things like that in terms of impressions and, and reach and engagement metrics that seemingly matter and view numbers and things like that. And so this actually becomes, a, again, a big challenge going back to old school media, the one and the way we understand media for 100 years. Yeah. 
suddenly we have more points of measurement available to us, but we also have new terminology yeah. and new ways of interpreting the data, but we're still operating from an old school mindset. And I think the challenge in, in what you just said there was that this new set of information came with new definitions that weren't necessarily controlled by industry norms controlled by the platforms themselves and that's the most worrying element of all of this and and different platforms have different definitions yeah and i think the best and different ways of collecting the data yeah exactly <laughs> and then what those numbers then what's the true impact of, of something and you go, oh but engagement but okay but how hard is it for someone just to tap like and what is the passive versus active engagement and what what is the you know and when you're paying for ads you know on a platform like any of them really, um, Google, Facebook, etc. you get some level of deep engagement. So you have a 30-second video, you roughly know in five to ten second slots how much of a video someone watched, which is great. But if you're doing organic content, things like that, um, unless you're the creator yourself, you don't necessarily know that. Why is that important? Well, it can numbers can falsify <laughs> the true impact of a, of a topic, for instance. But the numbers are there. They are, but they're defined really differently. I mean, like getting back to what you said, for instance, a video view, just, just to give an example, something like YouTube, organic, I'm talking about organic numbers here, not paid. YouTube counts organic views as 30 seconds. That's one play. Facebook, Instagram, three seconds plus. LinkedIn, Twitter, two seconds. And TikTok and Instagram Reels is zero seconds. So wow. that's a load. So when yeah. loads, it counts as a play. Okay, yeah, great. That's but that's organic, Paul. You know, and that's and that and that but this is where decisions get made. So if you're looking at audience particularly and the popularity of certain channels, because then it starts to get into targeting. Okay. So I want to target against key interests. What's this audience interested in? Oh, I can see a massive spike in interest in food videos, for example, or it could be anything, any type of genre, you know, like gaming or, or even more niche, you know, like shoemaking um, or something crazy. I see a massive spike. I see big, these huge numbers. Whoever's making the decision about targeting then starts to target those numbers. And you become one-dimensional because if you're basing something off a TikTok video having one billion views or something, how many of those actually watched any part of that piece of content? We don't know. Hmm. It's zero. As soon as that content loads, that's a one play. Was that just in a feed that people went past? What's the quality of that engagement that went through? Did people understand? Did they see? Are they sharing that because that particular, those pieces of content are popular? Or is it simply just an algorithm tweak or something like that that's getting that content in front of more people? And that then creates these really big differences and it gets back to social proof. And social proof is one of the, the strongest biases that we have as humans. Is Explain that with social proof. Social proof is when we see other people doing something and think, ah, okay. And the, the greatest example I think that's given to everybody maybe who studies any kind of social science and things like that is is the two restaurant thing where you, you're walking up, you're hungry, end of the day, you look at two restaurants next to each other. One has, One's full, it's got 20 people, you know, maybe it's a 30-person restaurant, a couple of spare tables. The one next to it's empty. Nine to nine nine point nine people out of ten go to the busy one because there's social proof. There must be something wrong with the other one, you know, where it could have just been really bad marketing. It could have better food, better ambience, better everything, but there's less people and people are attracted to people. It's the number one reason why cities become exponentially growing. Everything works off social proof. 
not not just everything. There's a number of biases that we have, but it's a it's a huge driving factor. So the more people we see looking and liking videos, the more likely we're to look at that video. The more likely we're going to get them too with algorithms and things like that. So it becomes a self perpetuating thing, and that there's something in it for those platforms to to really inflate these view view counts as well. So and I think the really interesting thing is an Instagram newsfeed video, th- three seconds, then it's a play. Instagram Reel, which also appears in that news, same news feed, is on a load and it counts as a play. So you see these play counts and you think, oh, that must be like, you know, that must be really important. But when what's buried in the metadata that we've certainly seen here at DA is that we've seen a 66% difference between the amount of views from that zero second load to what Facebook defines as a play, which is three seconds. So 66% inflation on average of those numbers. While that doesn't seem to be very important, you can start to see this content and you start to say, oh, gee, there's 272. And if you're a content creator yourself, you think, oh, I'm going to get so many more plays if I go onto Reels, right? So you start to create more content for that platform. It then has this flow on domino effect and every platform does it in different ways. And I'm, you know, I'm calling out Reels here because I think it's, it's the newest and it's probably you know a copycat of, well it's not probably it is a copycat of TikTok and you start to then understand okay so popularity algorithms and things like that really get affected by this stuff and what we see as consumers then gets affected but then also as marketers making decisions and so it becomes this cascading thing where we're being sort of almost conned into believing this one singular metric and that's why we're sort of advocating understanding the full breadth of an audience in terms of interests, behavior, and all those sorts of things that I know we'll, we'll touch on a bit later. But I think it's a really important takeaway from all of this is that measurement gives us one dimension of an audience and a really important dimension because there has to come we have KPIs. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a musician or something, you, you want to get a big audience. But the quality of that audience doesn't get measured by the amount of videos that get played. And that's that's something that I think century of marketing measurement has has taught us is to look at those numbers in a one in this one dimensional way which is again you know reach equals sales always but we need to can really consider the impact of what we're looking at and the drivers behind that and the fact that the numbers that we see are controlled by entities of which we have no oversight of (laughs) what goes in behind that number that we get reported back on so what is the takeaway of this episode Yes, we have more data with respect to content, but it is important to remember that the quality isn't always represented by the numbers. More than ever, the data we're seeing is collected by entities that have their own agendas. Think Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So we need to be thinking about the entire audience profile, not just the one dimension that's represented by the numbers. You can get in touch with me across the socials at the JamesCast or james at thejamescast.com. And get in touch with me, Paul, through d-a.co or otherwise email me at paul.kelly at d-a.co. Thanks for listening. 